And hello again, my friends. Thank you for taking some time to join me today. I hope this week is a good one for all of you. The weather here in Boston is getting better by the day, and my husband Paco and I are planning to take our dogs out this weekend for some romping fun in the sun. In today's episode, we have part two of our three-part series with David Pevsner, an actor, musical creator, and composer, and most recently, an author of a really fun book called Damn Shame. We continue our talk about his fascinating life and the lessons that he has learned along the way, and I know you will not only enjoy this peek into his life, but his memories and stories will resonate with all of us from when we grew up. Below in the show notes are the links where you can purchase his book, as well as you can find it wherever you get your books. One last mention that tomorrow is the very, very last day that you can take advantage of my 50% off almost any one item with free shipping discount code with adammail.com. It's a great deal for purchase of all things sexual. Go to adammail.com and use the discount code of AOGGS for your savings. And I'd like to take this moment to thank adammail.com for our two and a half year relationship. And I look forward to possible future business with this awesome company. Meanwhile, that is it for advertising at this time on an older gay guy show. From this point on, this show will be ad-free for a minimum of at least a year, most likely beyond that. So, my friends, without any further ado, we return to our conversation with David Pevsner. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find all the best shows under the rainbow at pride48.com. I didn't mention this to you yet in any email, but we actually have a couple actors in common, specifically Jay Corcoran. Oh, Jay Corcoran. He was in a film that I was an extra in called All, All the, the Rage. Rage that was filmed in Boston. Yeah. Um, what was the name of the director? It was, it was really fun. Um, I met him. Uh, I don't remember. I remember he was a Boston filmmaker. Three names. Yes. I know. And Jay and I did the play Party Off-Broadway. And I love Jay Corcoran. If you're listening, Jay Corcoran, what a, what a sweetheart. What a supportive guy. We had a great time working on that. He was, he was so fun yeah. in the film that we did, you know, as we filmed it. He was just so fun. And the other one is actually Tom Bertst who ah, is it, yeah. famous for being Philip Chancellor III on The Young and the Restless. And Tom actually painted a portrait of my husband and I from our wedding day. Oh, wow. And he wrote a big note on the back of the canvas. And uh, how do you know Tom? I think I'd known Tom just through like the circuit, not like the snuck-up circuit parties, because that wasn't anything I really did, just from like L.A., but... We ended up, um, he ended up being a guest starring role, uh, well, kind of a, a recurring role on Old Dogs and New Tricks, which was a web series that I did three seasons of. It was kind of like a gay sex in the city, and I was one of the four. And Tom played the boyfriend of one of the other characters. 
Oh, yeah. That's also available, I think, on YouTube currently. I think it is. Yeah. 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 I watched a couple episodes. It That is a fun, funny little show. That's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Tom is a wonderful yeah. artist. You know, he's. Yeah. He, he really is. Yeah, he really is. He does. He does not only people, but he he actually he does a lot of people's pets, dogs yes, and cats. Yes, I think he gets commissioned. Yeah, he's yeah, beautiful, beautiful work. Let's go back a little bit more. Growing up, school recess and being picked for teams for sports Last. were often traumatic, not only for you but for many of the listeners and myself. Tell us what your memories are about what happened with you. Oh boy. Well, if you want to talk recess, it was me playing with the girls and playing hopscotch and I stayed as far away from the boys as I could because when I did engage at all, they beat me up. <laughs> and mm. and it wasn't always like, you know, beat beat beat. It was a lot of making fun of me. Sometimes like one time it um somebody got on their hands and knees behind me and somebody pushed me over them and I fell on my back. Um it was just things like that. And then gym class was the fucking misery of forever because I was just not an athletic guy and sports were just the bane of my existence to this day. I don't get sports at all. Like I look at it and I go, I, I almost wish that I enjoyed it as much as most Americans do, but I just don't, I look at it and I go, ugh, this is the source of a lot of pain for me. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't get it. If you can, I, I joined a, like a kind of a tennis league when I moved to LA and it was just a bunch of guys getting together to play tennis. And it was really fun. Like I was like, Oh, this is how sports should be. And then there was one guy who was just an asshole. And I went, no, that's sports for me. That's what sports are always were. There was one thing that you did in a sport. I don't recall what it is, but you kind of became, everybody cheered for you when you did yeah. And it only happened once. What was that? Wrestling in grammar school was the absolute worst. No, it was the worst because I, I was weak. You know, I was very weak and, and, and I was nervous. Like as much as I wanted to be an actor, I was nervous to get in front of people and do anything like sports. You know, like I hated when I'd be in the outfield and a ball would come to me and I would just get so nervous that, of course, I would drop it. And then they would call me faggot, you know, all that really pretty language. But this yeah. one time, um, after losing many, many matches where I'd get thrown around by, by the jock guys, I got paired up with this guy who was smaller than me and weaker than me, and I beat him. You know, I, I was able to finally pin him down, and they were cheering for me, and I had never heard that when it came to um, uh, any kind of sport. And they were kind of, they were cheering me on, but they were also kind of like booing him a little bit. And, and he was just, mm. just humiliated. But in the moment I was like, I don't care. I won. Yay me. Woo. And then I thought back on it. I was like, wow, I, I see how people become assholes in sports because it is a high to win. It truly is. And, but very rarely do you then go, Oh, what about the other guy who's on the ground? What about yeah. him? And, yeah. and so in the moment, I think I was a bit of an asshole too, but in thinking about it, I was like, Oh no, that's never going to happen again. Never going to happen again. Do you recall if after that win and everyone cheered, did you feel like pressure the next? No, 
because I knew I knew it wasn't gonna, it wasn't going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> but they might not have known that. No, but, he was he was the yeah. one. He was the only he was the only one that was kind of smaller and weaker than me in class. And so I knew that unless I wrestled him again, I was not going to win. And I almost mm. didn't. I almost didn't try because it just you know how like you choose your battles in life. Well, my battle wasn't to become better at sports. My battle was just like, let me just get through this. I don't care if I lose at a certain point. I don't care. They're going to yell. They're going to make fun of me anyway. It doesn't matter. Just let's get this hell over with as fast as possible. And it was the same thing, you know, in any of the team sports. I was like, when is that bell going to ring? Get me the fuck out of here. To this day, if I am hanging out with friends and say we're at the beach or something and someone suggests volleyball, which everybody plays, Mm -hmm. I do not. I have never since elementary school. And because I am bigger because of gym and working out and everything, they all assume, oh, let's get Joey on. No, no, you don't want me on your team. And I would never, ever do it because of the trauma after all, seriously, after all these years. Well, I have to say that I can't tell you specifically what sport I have partaken in over the years. Now, if somebody wants me to play baseball, I'll play. I will absolutely play. I don't know about football so much because I never, you know, but something like baseball or volleyball or something like that, I'll play. But I'm going and I'll make fun of myself first before they do. Because if somebody starts to put the pressure on me and, and says something like, Pevsner, what the fuck? I'll be like, you know what, little motherfucker shit. That's when, mm. that's when the, um, the anger that has, that has kind of built up within me about those times when I never got angry back then. I dare the first person, <laughs> the first person to criticize me or to make or to, you know, be like a real shithead in a, in a team sport. I dare them to come at me because I will not be responsible for what happens after that. The, the firecracker is going to go off. When you're asked to play, do you say, okay, I'll play, but I really suck, just so you know? Do you preface oh, it? Oh, I would or? always do that, yeah. I would you totally do, do okay. that. Because yeah. if it's a serious game, like if it's like, you know, we're, we're a team, and we're, I'll be like, no, you don't want me. That's fine. But if it's just <laughs> right, supposed to be right. like a fun, you know, volleyball picnic day, or we're going to go throw a ball around, or basketball's another one. Like, I'll actually, if I, well, when my, my dad was alive, I used to go to his gym, And the basketball court would be empty and there were balls around. I thought, well, let me go try and see if I can. So I would do it. I would go and I would just, you know, kind of dribble and throw the ball and get baskets and sometimes not. And it was really good kind of cardio. And I would do that every every so often just for fun. And it actually was fun. Now, did I want to do it with somebody, you know, sticking their hand in my face and trying? I don't know about that. But I would try it. But the minute they would get persnickety with me. I'm telling you, (laughs) I would not be responsible for what happened to them. A recurring theme in your book is being your authentic self and uh, how you would ask people various opinions over the years of various things. And sometimes you listened to them, sometimes you didn't, and you were always learning something about yourself. So I'm not surprised that you would go and play on a team sport like that because you're just, Hey, this is me. Fuck you. If you don't like me, oh, totally. kind of thing. that's totally what it would be like for me. And, and again, I haven't done it much. 
Um, but but I no longer feel like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. I don't. No, I would totally do it. That's I, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that really is good. Tell me about your memories and what the influence was of dark shadows in your life. <laughs> we are on a TV theme today. Yes, we I loved are. dark shadows. Dark shadows was like, you know, if anybody doesn't remember, it was a, a kind of a gothic soap opera, a half hour soap opera um, that played on ABC for years. And it was so, I loved it at the time because it was kind of campy and the acting was really kind of over the top, but in a really good way. It was just, it was just high stakes, you know, drama and, and horror. And there was a vampire and there was a bunch of vampires and, and the women were like, you know, they were victims, but they weren't. And, and there was all kinds of gothic love. And, and it was just so kind of, it took itself really seriously. Mm. And yet there was something so fun about it. And they needed to take it seriously. They needed to, the actors truly believe, like, you want to see actors commit, go watch old episodes of Dark Shadows. <laughs> And they had to do it basically in one take, which is why a lot of people make fun of the fact the the boom mic comes into view sometimes right. and a, a wall falls down or something. Yeah, they did. It was obviously really fast, but there was something about the, just the, that some of the acting was really hammy, which it needed to be. And some of it was very focused and it was just really fun. Now I haven't seen Dark Shadows. I think, I think I've watched a little bit on YouTube. Um, but I followed those actors and those characters when I started watching that show. Like I would buy, they were also in the fan magazines and I knew what everybody was doing. Um, and in fact, um, I didn't get to work with her, but Catherine Lee Scott was a guest star in old dogs and new tricks as well. She played the mother of one of the characters and I loved oh her. God. Maggie. Wow. Yeah. I loved her. Yeah. Yeah. She was great because she had that, the women on that show had that like, kind of it was like it was like betty davis like that's the level it was played at you know and the guys were all broody and and her heroic and and you know it was just it played into the stereotypes certainly about men and women but it was really fun and i just worshipped it saw the two movies everything yeah my um my best friend in in elementary school and I were very much into dark shadows. And he told me one day after school that his sister had a dark shadows book. And I'm like, Oh, there's yeah. no books. Believe me. I'd know it if there were books. So there was, was a, a series book? of books. He went and brought like three of them to show me the covers and I became obsessed. They ended up putting out 29 books and I owned Every fucking one of them. I read every one of them. And I talk about going to camp and how much I hated overnight camp. And I would bring Dark Shadows books with me. And while everybody else was, you know, hiking and swimming and doing all that shit that I didn't want to do because I didn't like being outdoors, I sat in the cabin and read Dark Shadows books. That's what I did. <laughs> They were great summer reading. Oh, so I was good. always reading them. They were great. I, I thought, you know, they're available on eBay and all. And I thought of reading them again. Maybe someday I will. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll have to do that too. So what are under fives and what experience have you had with those? <laughs> I'd, never, I'd never heard the term before. Under fives is when you're on a TV show. Um, and I believe a film too, where you have less than five lines. 
So it's a certain kind of level, you know, it's like you have a one-liner, under fives, co-star, you know, that kind of thing. So an under five was under five lines. So I did a bunch of soap, well, not a bunch, but a few soap operas in which I played under five characters. And I have a theory about the under five characters, which I go into in the book. Where cause, and, and now that I tell you this, go back and watch soap operas, go back and watch TV shows where there's a character who's obviously in one scene for less than five lines and they fall into th- three categories. No, two categories. Either the servant who's there to like go, yes, sir, um, or your car's ready, ma'am, or, you know, we need you, Miss Kane, like that kind of thing. Okay. Or the loser in the scene to make the other character look better, smarter. So you're the one that's going to get shit on when you go, excuse me, sir, you really need to be in. I can't be at so-and-so because, but, but sir, you really need to, I told you I can't be in there. Okay. Okay. And then you leave. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So keep your eye on that. So is there an industry or union like pay scale specifically for under fives? And- yeah, there's, that's part of the, you know, the category that you're in under fives get paid a certain amount. Um, uh, yeah, with SAG, you know, SAG-AFTRA and I haven't done one in so long, so I have no idea what it pays anymore, but I think it's a little, I think it's a little more flexible than just what SAG-AFTRA, um, says. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've done one Mm -hmm. like that, which, you know, I loved it. I loved being on the soap operas, even if it was just for, you know, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Do you recall if you've ever been on General Hospital or Days of Our Lives? Because I watched those. I was on General Hospital. Ah. I when okay, funny. So James Franco was coming onto the show yep. as an artist named Franco. And I had one episode in which I was the gallery owner that was going to be selling his pieces. And so I can't remember who came. Um, what's her name? Kelly, Kelly Monaco yep. and Steve Burton came in to inquire about the pieces and about who's this artist. And I, I wrote something about how he's this mysterious guy, whatever. Anyway, that was the one, the one scene that I did on general hospital. He was actually a serial killer and his art was based on murders that he had done. Good to know. Yeah. And I was there at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I abetted a serial killer. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I am a self-admitted star fucker. So mm. you were in many Broadway and touring shows, and I'd love to know a little bit more about them. Please tell us what shows you have done. Well, I've only done two national tours, one of which came to Broadway. So in terms of like the big, big, big musicals. Um, I did a tour of South Pacific with Robert Goulet, Robert Goulet, my God, Robert Goulet. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. And then I did uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which we did on the road for like a year and a half, was it? And then we took it to Broadway for 10 months. So that was fun. I finally made it to Broadway, and that was kind of a fun fun time in my life. Um, Folks, if you are a musical theater buff, and especially if you're into the musical Fiddler on the Roof, you really have to get his book because he talks quite a bit about the tour of that and to Broadway and uh, a very famous person that was 
in that show. So if you, if you are into musical theater and especially if you like behind the scenes kind of thing, like I do, you got to read some of the stories that he's got in the book about that. Yeah, sure. You know, a lot of what I talk about when I talk about my career is I bring it back very often to body shame and sexuality. Okay. And like, even like when I talk about touring, I talk about kind of sleeping my way across the country and what it felt like. And when I had a beard and I couldn't get laid and then I went to leather bars. And so, you know, I don't just talk about, I was in this show and here's what it was like, but every so often the stories were just too good to not share them. So the stuff about the stuff that happened in Fiddler was like, Oh God, I have to tell people this one because it's just, you know, it's just mortifying. It's when you think about what goes on backstage, um, a lot of people don't know what's going on backstage. So it is kind of fun to lift the veil a little bit and, and, you know, kind of, it's a little dishy, but it happened. happened. That's what I enjoy. I think about that. Yeah. One of my probably favorite stories in your book is the refrigerator magnet story. (laughs) And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of that story. Sure. Well, I had always wanted to pose nude and I was, um, I was in Los Angeles doing Fiddler and I went to the, um, the athletic club out here, which is a very gay gym. And this guy comes up to me and says, Hey, you look great. I'm a photographer. Could I photograph you? And I was kind of like, okay, I saw fame. I know what happens at these things. <laughs> so I said, no, I'm not, I, I don't think so, but I would love to see your work. So I went back to his place and it was phenomenal. He had it up on his walls. He showed me prints and it was Tom Bianchi, who I didn't really know who he was at the time. So about a year later, um, I was walking on the beach of Fire Island and I, and I saw a friend of mine and he happened to be with Tom Bianchi. And Tom was like, I know you. And I was like, yeah, we met last year. And he goes, he goes, well, you look fantastic. I would still love to photograph you here at my house in, in um, Fire Island. And my friend was like, David, if you've ever wanted to do this, this is the guy to do it. So the next day I went and I got naked in Tom Bianchi's house and he shot me all over the place. And it was great. It was really fun. And it ended up one of the shots from that was the, the, the final image in his book out of the studio, which at the time I wasn't comfortable showing my face. So it's like from my beard down to my knees. So you wouldn't necessarily know it's me, but so I don't know how long after that I was with my sister in Chicago and we're kind of browsing. We went to this gay card store and so we're kind of browsing cars and I found a card that I wanted and I bring it up to the cashier and at the cashier's desk is a little turntable that had refrigerator magnets on it. And they're like, you know, drag queens saying, you know, funny statements and like oiled up bodybuilders and little pithy comments and stuff. And all of a sudden there's this one black and white one of a guy in front of a flag naked from the beard to the knees. And I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a refrigerator magnet. So I call my sister over and I go, Janet. And she's like, what? I pointed at it. And she goes, why? And she's like, why are you showing me this picture of a guy with his naked, you know? And I said, that's me. And she like had a moment of what? <laughs> no, this is from the, I did a photo shoot and this was the picture that they used. And she looked at me like, Oh God, David. Oh, I'm so like, it, and it was one of those moments where I kind of had to go, where like my secret fantasies and my real life kind of melded for a second. 
And I remember feeling I could either be like blushing and, and embarrassed and I'm sorry, you know, or own it. And yeah. I, w- I decided to own it. So I picked it up off the thing and I, and the cashier came over and I said, and I, he's like, is there anything else? And I saw this thing. I go, this is me. <laughs> And the guy started laughing. It was, I was saying in the book, it was this, I was on the cover of Time magazine. Look, this is me. And he goes, oh, he gets, just gets all excited and he takes it and he puts it in my hand and he goes, this, this is for you. And then he raises his arms up like Mamie and he goes, I'm the house. <laughs> and so my sister and this guy and I, we just all laughed. And it was the moment really where I took ownership of this other side of me, this kind of like, you know, um, uh, exhibitionistic, sexual, exploratory guy. It was in that moment because I could have gone either way, you know. Perhaps the cashier missed a little bit of an opportunity here when he could have said, Oh, really? Prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Not with my sister there, he wouldn't have done that. Tis true. <laughs> Another story that I would like you to touch upon, um, because ageism is a recurring theme in your book, and I think that that's really something that my audience is going to relate to. We've talked about it on my show, and the way you tell of your experiences, and then you come to a conclusion in your book, towards the end of your book, about life. You had an experience that you talked about when you went out to a leather bar one time and there was a, an older, kind of drunk, kind of depressed guy sitting at the bar alone. And you actually ended up writing a song about that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was all about? Yeah, I, was, um, I went to the... Um the lure, which was a leather bar in, in Manhattan, in, in downtown. And I ran into, and you could go and you could really like gear up there. Like it was a serious leather bar. And I ran into my friend, Jason, we're kind of chatting. And I look over at the bar and there's a guy kind of, you know, at the time I was like maybe late thirties, mid, mid to late thirties. And I had just, I think I was still a male escort at that time. And we'll get into that later, but whatever the case, I, you know, I liked getting in gear. I liked dressing up in leather and kind of living out my, my sexuality and everything. And I remember looking over at the bar and there was a guy who at the time, he must've been 60 years, if he's a day, my age now. And he looked Mm -hmm. so unhappy to me. He just was kind of like, you know, kind of leaned over into his, his highball glass and just looked really down. And he's kind of like sagging, you know, he was wearing like full leather and his, his belly was kind of sagging and he just... You know, it just, it just, he just didn't look healthy or happy. And I said to my friend, Jason, if you see me at that age, sitting there that unhappy, shoot me or call me a cab. Mm. And I went home and I wrote a song called shoot me, which is all about how, when you get to be a certain age, you know, bring me to my senses. If I want to get out there and wear a tank top or what, I mean, it's, it's a very funny song. I'll give me that. It's a funny song. But when it came time to, and, and in the book, I take chunks of my, my, all of my songs come out of real life experiences. So sometimes we would use bits and pieces of the songs to kind of bring an extra element to the book, a fun kind of whimsical element. 
And so after telling the story, I kind of had some of the lyrics. And my editor said, David, he goes, you're kind of, and, and this piece was in my first show where I told the story about it and then I sang the song. And it was funny, but what I didn't really look at was how awful it really was. And my editor, who I wasn't entertaining, I wasn't singing it to him. He was just reading my words. He said, David, I got to tell you, this is really kind of tone deaf. He said, maybe at the time it played, but he said, I'm not feeling it at all. I feel like you're being really kind of nasty and judgmental. And he, he's, and I said, but I'm, I'm being honest about how I felt at the time. At the time. At the yeah. time. And he goes, that's fine. But like, but now you, you can't stop there. You have to let us know what you feel now. Because after that chapter, I kind of hated you a little bit. I don't know if you put it that way, but he's like, I lost some respect for you. Mm. And I said, well, let me think about that. And so I did. I kind of went, he's like, really put yourself in the headspace now of how that would make you feel and that kind of did it so i you know i kind of go a little further even though i i do have the lyrics in there and they are kind of funny but then i do say that they were just wrong um they they for all i know that guy could have been you know a millionaire with a movie star boyfriend and happier maybe just having a hard night which we all do but i made this yeah. this kind of blanket judgment about him that I thought made for a funny song, but also in retrospect, as much as he didn't know what I was thinking, but it hurt me. It, 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 it hurt me in that I'm not that kind of person. I'm not, I'm a judgmental guy. Don't get me wrong, but I also try to look at the positives in things. And so, and, and also, you know, when young guys make fun of older guys or say, ugh, disgusting, they're going to be that one day. And I was, yeah. and I, and, and I realized like, Oh God, as many, as many times as I tell people that, that, you know, have some empathy because you're going to, you're going to be there one day. I wasn't practicing it back then. And now when I look at somebody who, you know, maybe looks unhappy about stuff, I just go, I don't know what's going on in their lives. I have no right to judge. Look at me. And at the time I was a male escort, which I loved. I was not a millionaire. I was, you know, struggling to find work here and there. So who am I to judge anybody? Who the fuck am I? So I needed to get over myself. The conclusion of our talk with David Pevsner will be in part three, which will be out next week. Some of the best is still to come as we will talk more about his days and nights as a mature male escort. You don't want to miss that. So please be sure to subscribe to the show so that you can be notified when that episode airs. Meanwhile, look for a new video on an older gay guy show YouTube channel this weekend, as well as chapter three of Northridge High Football Camp on the Jockstrap Stories podcast. Hugs to all of you, my friends. Thank you again for joining me. Bye for now.